Amen. Good morning. A couple hundred years ago, Benjamin Franklin learned that if you were to take crushed plaster, you know, plaster of Paris, you were to crush it up and you were to put it in your field, it would help plants grow better. Something in the plaster just helped plants to grow. And uh, he tried to tell his friends about this, but his friends said, no, 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 there's nothing, there's no way that that can be right. And so Benjamin Franklin decided to just let the matter drop. But one spring he went out and he had this, this piece of property that was right by a pathway that many people would walk. And he went out there early in the spring and he took some crushed plaster and he put it into big words in his field. And then he sowed grass seed onto it. And as the grass began to come up in the spring, pretty soon, very clearly, you could read in big, green, bold letters, much greener and much brighter than all the rest of the grass, this has been plastered. (laughs) And you know what? He didn't have to say anything else. From there on in, everyone believed, everyone knew that what he said was true. Because there before them was the evidence. And all year as people walked up and down that path, there in the field were those words, this has been plastered. Now before you go away today saying that Pastor Steve said I'm supposed to go get plastered, I do want to say to you that we as Christians are called to stand out in the world. We as Christians are called to show by our lives that there is something different about us. That something has changed. That Jesus Christ can make a difference in a human heart. We're called to represent Him. We're called to show by our lives that we are followers of Him. Today we're continuing in our series, getting back to the basics, asking the question, what is the church? We've looked for the last two weeks at the great, uh, the great um, commandment, loving God and loving one another. Do you remember our four points, our four E's? If we can put those up on the screen, let's do, do those again, okay? Looking again. The purpose of the church is to, let's do it together, exalt God, brace one another, equip belief service, extend the kingdom. One more time, the church exists to exalt God, brace one another, equip for service, and extend the kingdom. Today we go on to the third of those E's. We move from the great commandment to the great commission. The other great statement that Jesus made. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. This is the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, or follow along on the screen. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We see in this statement a number of things, but the first thing we see in this statement, that making disciples, which is the commandment of this passage, 
Um, it's very interesting, this passage in the original language, you know, we sometimes think the Great Commission is, go, and that's the command. But actually, in the original language, it says, as you are going, make disciples. That making disciples is the heart of what the Great Commission is all about. And we see in the Great Commission that making disciples is a process. There's a process that's involved. You go, you tell, people come to Christ, they get baptized, they grow, and then they go out and they repeat the process. So there's a process involved. That process is called discipleship. The process of making disciples. And it's what we as a church are called to do. We're called to make disciples. To help people grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about this. Ephesians 4.11 says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by the wind of every teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. This passage says that God's ideal for us is to grow up. That God's ideal for us all is to become more spiritually mature. So how does that happen? How does that happen? Let me, before I tell you how it is supposed to happen, give you some myths about spiritual maturity. Some misconceptions about spiritual maturity. These are things that sometimes people think, but they're not really true. Number one, some people think that spiritual growth is automatic. But can I say to you, it's not. Spiritual growth is a choice that you make. You can grow older, but not grow up. Do you know that? Just because you're old doesn't mean that you're spiritually mature. I have met a lot of old people that are not spiritually mature. I've met a lot of young people who are spiritually mature. Age and spiritual maturity are not equivalent. Number two, growth is not instant. Growth is not instant. It is a process. It takes work. There is no magic pill that will get you to spiritual maturity. You can take your Bible and put it under your pillow as you sleep at night, but it is not going to absorb into your brain during the night. You're not going to wake up knowing by heart the book of James, okay? It's not going to happen. It's a process. It takes a lot of work. And it is a lifelong process, something that will take you your entire life. Growth doesn't happen just by attending church. For some of you, this may be a surprise. You can go to church all your life and not be spiritually mature. Because, can I tell you, Sunday morning service is only the icing on the cake. It's good, but it's not enough. There has to be stuff that happens all through the week to help you in this process. You know, some people think that Jesus said, I have come that you may have meetings. (laughs) A lot of Christians attend too many meetings. They're meeting out. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. Life. 
Life is what we live out day by day, week by week, moment by moment. The next one, growth doesn't just happen by yourself. You need others to grow. A lot of different religions say that the best way to achieve maturity is to go off by yourself, kind of like go to a monastery or go hide in a cave somewhere or or go isolate yourself from the rest of the world and then you can achieve some level of spiritual maturity. But as we saw last week, that's not true. Loving God means loving one another. You can't love God without loving one another. That spiritual growth is something that has to be done in the context of community, of other people. And lastly, growth is not measured just by beliefs. You can know this book, but not practice this book. I've met a lot of people that know this book, but they don't practice this book. Can I tell you, you only know the parts of the Bible that you practice. Right? You can know what it says, but if you don't do what it says, then you don't know it. One time when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he said this to them. He said to the Pharisees, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. And can I tell you, that was an insult. You could not become a Pharisee until you memorized by heart and were able to repeat the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. You could not be a Pharisee until someone could sit you down and you could by heart say word for word the exact first five books of the Bible. And that's a big part of the Bible. And yet here Jesus says to them, you don't know the Bible. Is he saying that you haven't memorized it? No. What he's saying is, is that you know what it says, but you don't do what it says. And you only know the parts of the Bible that you do. It's all about practice. It's not about head knowledge. It's about heart knowledge. How do you know if you're spiritually mature? Well, how do you know if a tree is mature? It bears fruit. The way to know if you're spiritually mature or not is are you bearing spiritual fruit? Is the work of God evidenced in your life? So how do you know that? How do you become mature in your faith? Well, let me just give you a couple of pointers on how to become mature in your faith. Things that you have to understand to become spiritually mature. Number one, you have to understand that spiritual growth is planned. Spiritual growth is planned. In other words, it is intentional. I heard a story about this middle-aged man, single man, who went on a Caribbean cruise. And while he was on this Caribbean cruise, he was walking along the decks of the ship, and he walked past a woman who was about the same age as he was. And as he walked by her, the woman kind of looked up at him, and she smiled this great big smile. And he thought to himself, oh, that's that's a rather pleasant woman. That night, he went to dinner, and he was surprised to find out that he was sitting at the same table as this woman. And the two of them got talking, and and the man said, you know, I really appreciated when I walked by you on the deck of the ship this, this afternoon that you had a big smile on your face. And the woman kind of smiled again, and she looked down on her plate, and she said, oh, well, the reason I smiled at you is that you bear such a strong resemblance to my third husband. Oh, he said, how many times have you been married? And she said, twice. (laughs) I wish I had the drummer up here for some of these. I don't know. But 
Now, like it or not, that's a woman who had a plan, right? She had a plan. But you see, sometimes in life, you need to just have a plan. You need to know what it is you're doing. You need to know what it is you want. Spiritual growth is intentional. You must make the choice to grow. I don't know how to say it any clearer than that. If you are not growing in your faith, you cannot blame your wife. You cannot blame your husband. You cannot blame your children. You cannot blame your parents. You cannot blame your pastor. You are as close to Jesus as you choose to be. Because spiritual growth is a choice that you make. It's intentional. You have to commit yourself to grow. Well, how do you commit yourself to grow? Let me tell you, in any church, there are four different levels of commitment. Four different levels when it comes to commitment. The first level of commitment is called the crowd. That means that you are committed to attending one of the worship services. Why is it called a crowd? Well, look, it's a very big group, right? It simply means that you commit yourself to coming out, to sitting in a service, and you come and, 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 and you attend. And that's good. That's the first level of commitment. The second level of commitment is called the committed. The committed are the people that start by just coming to church. They come, they attend a service, but after a while of attending services, they say, you know what, this is great, but there must be something else. There must be something else I can get involved in. And so they get involved in a Christian education class, or they get involved in a, in a, a small group discussion, or they start doing something else. Okay? That's called the committed. After the committed, you move to the core. What's the core? The core is when you go from being somebody who's learning and growing in their faith to now you say, you know what? I, this is good. I'm growing in my faith. I'm learning. But I want to I move from just feeding myself to helping to feed others. So they get involved in an area of ministry. They become an usher, or they get involved in teaching a Sunday school class, or they, they do something. They get involved in an area of ministry. And then the fourth level is called the commissioned. The commissioned is where you move from saying, you know what, I'm growing in my faith, I'm serving in the church, and now I want to come to a place where I understand this is God's calling on my life, this is where God has placed me at this particular time in my life, and I want the church to come alongside me and commission me into this work. And so you have like the elders up here being commissioned. You have people coming up and, and saying, you know what, this is where God's called me. The church comes around them and really commissions them into an area of ministry. So you have those four different levels of commitment. You say, Pastor Steve, well, where did you get that from? What book did you get that from? I got it from this book. Because that's what Jesus modeled. When Jesus started out, People started following him. Remember at the very beginning of his ministry where Andrew comes up to Jesus? And he says, teacher, where are you saying? And what does Jesus say? He says, come and see. Just come and see. He didn't do a lot of teaching. He wasn't doing a lot of equipping at that phase. He simply said, come and see. And he just went and they just hung out together. They just stayed together. You know, maybe you're at that level of commitment today. Maybe you're here to just come and see. Can I tell you? That's great. You are very welcome to just come and see. To just, you know, if you're a visitor with us this morning, we're not going to make you stand up and say your name or do anything like that. We don't want to embarrass people. We just want you to come 
and see. And be with us and see if you can experience what God's doing around this church. That's great. You're very welcome. But you know, at some point, the disciples went from just coming and seeing Jesus to following Jesus. The second level of commitment, the committed. And they started walking with Jesus. And they went with Jesus from town to town. And as Jesus spoke, Jesus began to spend more and more of his time, instead of talking to the crowds, he talked to those that were following him. That's the committed. But then over time, Jesus began to do something, very intentionally. He began turning up the heat on what being a follower of Jesus was all about. And we read that many times in the New Testament, the people that were following Jesus came to a decision. Remember that time when Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in me? I mean, there were all these people that were following Jesus, disciples, people that had not been following him for a day, but people who had been following him for quite some time. And they said, wow, this is hard teaching. Who can accept that? And it said that from that time, there were many people that stopped following him. He kept turning up the heat, turning up the heat. And the people that were following him got more and more and more committed until they formed the core. And then that core, Jesus sent out. He sent out first the 12 and then the 72. And then the Great Commission where he sent them out after his resurrection into all the world. The commissioned. See, this is modeled in the life of Jesus. So what level are you at? Where are you at in your spiritual walk? Spiritual growth is planned, number one. Spiritual growth, number two, is a process. In other words, spiritual growth is incremental. You move by steps. Step one, step two, step three. If you decide today, oh, I'm going to go on a diet, but you have no plan, do you think your diet is going to be very effective? If you just say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to go on a diet today. Oh, but I forgot, I just you know, loaded the freezer full of you know, ice cream and cake and cookies, all in the, you know, the whole house is filled with chocolate, basically. You think you're going to be real effective in your diet? Probably not, right? You see, if you're going to go on a diet, you need to have a plan. You need to have something in your mind that says, you know what, this is what I have to do in order to go on this diet. And the same is true of spiritual growth. It's planned. A.W. Tozer once said this, and I think it's up on the screen. Think about people who find themselves in religious ruts. They discover a number of things about themselves. They will find that they're getting older, but not getting any holier. Time is their enemy, not their friend. The time they trusted and looked to is betraying them. For they often said to themselves, the passing of time will help me. I know some good old saints. So as I get older, I'll get holier and better. But time will help me, purify me, and revive me. They say that the year before last, but they were not helped any last year. Time betrayed them. They were not any better last year than they had been the year before. And maybe you're here saying to yourself, you know what, I'm going to church, but I just don't seem to be growing in my spiritual walk. I seem to be the same this year as I was last year. Well, let me ask you, what's your plan? What's your plan? What are you doing to grow in your spiritual maturity? Spiritual growth is a process. Number three, spiritual growth is personal. What I mean by that is that it is individual. 
The spiritual plan for one person may not work for another person. Because God made us all different. I mean, just look at this church. There are people here that love different things. Some of you are hang from the rafters, scream a lot Christians. You know, maybe not so many in this church. Either that or they're in the fellowship hall right now. I don't know. Maybe that place is just going crazy. I don't know. Hi, everyone in the fellowship hall, by the way. Other people are more meditative. Different people learn in different ways. Some people learn by reading. Some people learn by watching. Some people learn by listening. Some people learn by doing. Which type are you? I mean, if I get a new computer... Are you the kind of person who reads through the manual first? I don't know. Manual goes in the garbage, and I fiddle around with it and usually end up messing it up, right? Other people, they have to have someone sit down beside them and say, no, you do this, and then you do this. And different people learn in different ways. What I mean to say by this is that, you know what? There's no one plan that fits everybody. The person beside you can develop a plan for spiritual maturity that would not work for you at all. Maybe you have to do something different. Maybe you learn in a different way. You know, instead of sitting down with a Bible open in front of you, maybe you need to get the Bible on tape. And just as you're driving in your car, always you have that MP3 going in the background, just the Bible being read to you as you drive along the streets. Or maybe you need to to get an, an iPod and download podcasts of different messages, and you learn best by just listening to someone preaching. You know what? That's great if that's you. But maybe that's not you. But find out what works for you. Find out what excites you. Find out what spiritually invigorates you. And do it. Whatever that is. Spiritual growth is personal. Fourthly, spiritual growth is practical. It's practical. What I mean by that is that you have to actually do something. It, It involves developing habits. There's an old expression that says this. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. In other words, you have thought. If you think about something, it's only a matter of time before you do it. And if you do something long enough, it's only a matter of time before it becomes a habit. And if something is a habit for long enough, it shapes your character. And if you live a character for so long, it shapes a destiny. The destiny is what your eyes are upon. That's true in the negative. If you sow a negative thought, it will reap a negative act, it will reap a negative habit, it will reap a negative character, it it will reap a negative destiny. But the same is also very true in the positive sense. How many of you here know how to drive a car? Okay, does it take a lot of effort? I mean, for the people that are learning, you know, if you're 15 years old, it's the first time you've ever been in a car. Anyone here remember when you were 15 years old trying to learn how to drive a car? It was like you get in the car, mirror, 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 okay, staring, mirror, mirror, okay, mirror, mirror, you know, and you look five times around you, and, and you spend half an hour just before you get in the car and drive, right? And then finally the car is in drive, and you go a little bit forward, brake, a little bit forward, brake. And everything, you're looking like this all around you. You're processing. Okay, what, what, I have to be looking at this, I have to be looking at this. And everything is new, and everything is difficult. 
And yet after you've been driving for a while, you jump in the car, you throw it and drive, you're out on the road, you're thinking about this, you're, you know, you shouldn't be talking on the phone very bad if you are. But you're doing a hundred things at once, you pull into your destination, you turn off the car, you jump out, and if someone were to ask you what just happened, you would have no idea. Because everything you have just done was automatic. It was like second nature. You've done it enough times that you don't have to think about it anymore, you just do it. It's automatic. And the Christian life is all about that. Someone once said the word spiritual disciplines. You know what a spiritual discipline is? It's simply spiritual habits. That means if you do something long enough, it becomes a habit. How do you form a habit? You say, okay, I believe that spending time alone with God is important. So I will spend five minutes before God, before bed, with God. And the first time you do it, it's tough. And the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time, and you miss a couple of times, and you get discouraged, but you say, okay, I'll try it again, and you start up again. But over time, suddenly it becomes easier and easier, and pretty soon it is second nature. You do it hardly without thinking about it. It just becomes part of who you are. And that is partly what spiritual maturity is. It's about thinking right thoughts, doing the right things, often enough so they become habits in your life. The lastly, spiritual growth is people. As I said before, you cannot grow outside of the context of community. There's a couple of things that I would really love to see happen in the coming year in this church. One of them is developing an intentional discipleship training program where we lay down an intentional spiritual learning track that people can get involved in to grow intentionally in their spiritual life. But the second thing is small groups. Because you see, it's in the context of small groups that people learn best. People sitting down together, talking together, life on life together. That's what, that's what really helps people grow leaps and bounds in their Christian walk. Get involved in groups. Get involved with people. As I talked about last week, learn from one another. Grow from one another. Can I tell you two more things that you can do that will help you to grow in your spiritual maturity? The first is this. Get a spiritual coach. Get a spiritual coach. A spiritual coach is simply someone who you look up to, who you think, man, that person really has, that, that person is really kind of what I want myself to be like. Go to that person and say, could you mentor me or could you help me? Could we sit together and could we talk together and could I learn from you? Everyone who plays in sports has a coach. Everyone. I mean, if you want to become an Olympic athlete, you need to find yourself a coach who can help you. And the same is true spiritually. That's just simply going to someone. You know, a lot of kids sometimes say, well, you know, they get to that teenage years and they don't want to ask their parents. So you know what? They'll go to an uncle or they'll go to an aunt or someone totally different. And that's great. But find a coach, someone to help you in your spiritual walk. And the second thing, which is like it, only different, be a spiritual coach. Get alongside someone who's perhaps not as much experienced as you and help them in their spiritual walk. 
that will help you yourself grow. You're, I know what you're saying. You're saying, oh, pastor, you know, I can't be a coach. I don't know enough myself. I need a coach. I, I can't be a coach. Do you know what you need to be to be a coach? You need to be one step ahead of the person in front of you. That's all. Just one step ahead. For example, a person that's been a Christian two days can be the spiritual coach of a person who's been a Christian one day. Right? You don't have to be perfect in everything. All you have to be is someone who's willing to come so- alongside another person. We'd love to see a coaching network and a, a, a network here where, where older women come alongside younger women to help them and mentor them. Where men could get together and men on men could coach one another. It would be a wonderful thing to see. Let me close by saying this. If I were to ask you an honest question, how many here feel stagnant in your spiritual walk? It would be interesting to see how many would say yes. If I were to ask you the question, honestly, do you feel like you are more spiritually mature this year than you were last year? What would you honestly say? Can I tell you the number one cause of spiritual stagnation? is the same reason for water stagnation. If you go to Israel, there are two bodies of water. There is the Sea of Galilee, and there is the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is full of life. It's full of fish. It's a wonderful place to catch fish. Why? Because the water flows into the Sea of Galilee, and then the water flows out of the Sea of Galilee. It's always fresh. And then you have the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, the same water from the Sea of Galilee, flows into the Dead Sea. The only difference is that then it stays there. It doesn't go anywhere. And the water stagnates. And you can go to the Dead Sea, and it's full of minerals. I mean, I've swam in the Dead Sea before. You don't have to swim. You can just sit there. And you're bobbing up above the water. I mean, it's so buoyant, it's almost impossible to drown in the Dead Sea. All you have to do is lay on the water. You don't sink. There's so much minerals in it. But it's lifeless. Nothing grows in the Dead Sea. Why? Because it takes in, but it doesn't give out. And in your Christian life, if you are always taking in, but never giving out, you will become stagnant. You have to have an outlet for ministry. You have to have a place where you serve. You have to have a place where you take what you're learning and you apply it. And if you're stagnant in your faith, get involved in an area where you're giving out. Many years ago, there was a man called Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was just a Sunday school teacher. Nothing really extraordinary about the man. He was just a man who who loved to teach Sunday school. And one day, Edward Kimball had a young man in his class, a man that had not been a Christian for very long, and he noticed that this young man wasn't really doing anything with his walk with Christ. And so he made a decision. He could have just said, well, you know, let him come to Sunday school this week. Let him come to Sunday school next week. Maybe somehow God will get through to him. But Edward Kimball said, you know what? I'm going to go to where that young man works and I'm going to have lunch with him. I'm going to sit down with him and I'm going to share my testimony. I'm going to do something beyond what's just expected of me. And he went to the shoe store. And there was a little man, a young man called Dwight, Dwight Moody. And he sat down with Dwight L. Moody and he shared his faith with 
this young man. And as a result of that, Richard Kimball going and, 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 and Edward Kimball going and sitting down with this man, this man became a Christian. And D.L. Moody went on to become a great evangelist. Had a huge church in Chicago. Traveled all over the place. One day, D.L. Moody was traveling in Europe. And he went to a little church in England. And there was a man there called Pastor Meyer. And as D.L. Moody was sharing his testimony, how this man, this Edward Kimball, had come at a lunchtime and simply shared his faith with him, and that's how he had become a Christian, this Pastor Meyer was was touched by that message and said, you know what, I'm going to become an evangelist like D.L. Moody. And he became an evangelist and started doing meetings. And one of his meetings brought him to America, where he preached at a certain church, and there was a young man called J. Wilbur Chapman who was sitting in the back. And when J. Wilbur Chapman heard Pastor Meyer preach, he became a Christian. J. Wilbur Chapman went on to become one of the greatest evangelists of his time. In one meeting, J. Wilbur Chapman was preaching in a huge crusade of thousands of people. And there was a young man that came alongside him. And J. Wilbur Chapman took this young man called Billy Sunday and said, you know what? I want you to help me in this crusade. Billy Sunday gave his life to Jesus at that crusade. And he went on to become, again, one of the greatest evangelists that North America has ever known. Billy Sunday was once preaching a crusade in North Carolina. And there was a young man who attended that meeting. He was brought by a friend. He didn't want to go, but he ended up coming to it. His name was Billy Graham. One man, Edward Kimball, just a Sunday school teacher, He made a decision. And look at what happened as a result of that. The thousands, the millions of people in heaven because one man made a decision, I'm going to give of myself to another person. Where are you at today? Are you the crowd? I invite you. Come and see. But when you're ready, come deeper. Get involved. Are you the committed? Are you attending classes? Are you, are you growing in your faith? I encourage you, come deeper. Come deeper. Begin serving in an area of ministry here. You've already heard about the deacons having a need in that area. There's lots of other ministries that also have needs. If you're already ser- serving, come deeper. Consider ordination. Consider coming forward and, and having the church you know, pray over you and commission you into an area of ministry. Wherever you're at today, I hope you're growing. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that we come as your children. And Father, you call us to spiritual maturity. You call us, Father, to grow in spiritual discipline. Lord, I pray that even as we have come today, even as we have been faithful, Lord, in attending today, That, Father, we would take a look at our own lives and decide, Lord, is there something else you want to do in us? Are there spiritual disciplines you still want to see us grow and mature in? That, Father, we are as close to you as we choose to be. And if we feel distant from you this morning, we know it isn't you who have moved from us. It's that we have somehow moved from you. And so, Father, I just pray that if there's anyone here this morning that's feeling stagnant, It's feeling like they're just not going anywhere in their Christian life. That, Father, you would help them to set up a plan to become intentional 
to develop a process that they can get involved with, to help bring people alongside them, to help them in that. Thank you, Father, for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for a closing song.
Thank you. Have a good day.